Let's now open up Holy Scripture to 3 John. John, and our text this afternoon is verse 4. Let's hear the word of God. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest proper, prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, Thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, Prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. As far we read the word of God, our text is verse 4, which I'll reread now. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved of God, in order to understand somewhat Third John, we have to know a few names. One of those names is a certain Gaius. He's mentioned right at the beginning of this letter. The Apostle John is the one who wrote Third John, and he wrote this letter to this man, whose name is Gaius. Now, we don't know much about this individual. There are other instances in which this name Gaius is used in other parts of the New Testament, but we can't determine with certainty if this Gaius is the same as those other instances of the name in the New Testament. What we do know about this man, though, is found right here, in 3 John. I won't get too much into this here because I'm going to revisit this matter of Gaius later in the sermon, but just to say that back in these days, there were traveling missionaries. They would go from place to pray, place preaching the gospel. 
when they would come to the place where Gaius lived and where he went to church, then Gaius would receive these missionaries in and treat them hospitably, and he would send them off to continue on their journeys. But more on that later. Another man that we meet here is Diotrephes. Toward the middle of the letter, Diotrephes was the complete opposite of Gaius. He was a very wicked man, and we'll talk more about him later in the sermon again, so I won't say too much here, but with respect to those traveling missionaries, Diotrephes gave the cold shoulder to them, would not receive them in, as well as other evils that he committed. It is interesting, by the way, that part of the purpose of the Apostle John for writing this letter to Gaius is to inform Gaius that he, John, if the Lord wills, is going to come where Diotrephes goes to church. He's going to come and he's going to confront this evil man. Wouldn't that have been something if you were there to witness the Apostle John himself coming in a great confrontation against this man who's been saying all sorts of evil things about John and the faithful missionaries, that must have been quite something. Right before our text, we read in verse 3, and again, this is being said to Gaius, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Gaius, this is what I've been hearing about you, says John. This is what's true about you. And now it's as if the Apostle John broadens out, not just Gaius now, but he begins talking more broadly of other children, other people in the church, when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. A lot of times this very well-known verse will be found hanging up on the walls inside homes. And we think of this verse as, first of all, applying to parents who would say this about their own children who either live at home yet or who have moved out. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, that application may be made of parents saying that about children. There's nothing wrong with that. But the application, first of all, actually, is of an office bearer saying this of those in his congregation because this is John saying this about Gaius. Gaius was not his biological child but in the church. And then he expands out from Gaius and he speaks of others in the congregation. So that's, first of all, where the application lies in the sermon tonight of an office bearer and those in the church. And he says about them, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. But we'll make application not only in that way, but also to parents. Let's hear this under the theme, no greater joy. No greater joy. Three points here, the truth and walk and joy. Truth, walk, and joy. As even a brief first reading of this verse will reveal to you, the word of God here has everything to do with the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The very opposite of the truth, of course, is the lie. The lie is falsehood. The lie is what is not in accord with reality. To say homosexuality is good. Homosexuality is even to be celebrated. That's a lie. To say, Jesus Christ died for all people is a lie. 
to say that the origin of the universe is billions and billions of years ago, that too is not in accord with reality. There are so many lies and so much deception around today, but it seems to me, beloved, that one of the biggest lies today is to say that truth is whatever you want it to be. Truth is personal to each individual. And so if you have a a Muslim, well, that's his truth. And if you have a Buddhist over here, well, that's truth for her. And if someone says, for example, I believe that people may get divorced upon any ground whatsoever, well, that's that person's truth, I guess. Truth becomes like a like Play-Doh. You can shape it, you can mold it however you want it to be, and this is this person's truth, this is that person's truth. But that whole idea is itself, I believe, one of the biggest lies around today, that truth is whatever you want it to be. I was in college now some years back. I discovered quickly that you're not going to get in trouble for being a Christian so long as you are not so vocal that this is the only truth that there is. If people know you're a Christian, well, that's all right because that's the truth to you and we've got things that are truth to us. As soon as you say this is the only truth that there is, then you're going to get in trouble. But that's just to prove. That's a very common lie today. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Not just that lie, many others fill this world so that you make no exaggeration if you say the world is drunk with all sorts of deception. The devil himself, Jesus said, is a liar and he's the father of it. And also those who are the spiritual lookalikes of the devil are liars. In fact, they don't have the truth in their heart They don't know and love it, and they cannot even desire to know or to love the truth. They're in the darkness of the lie. Before we become proud and say, but I know the truth, before we elevate ourselves and exalt ourselves as if we have made ourselves to differ, from all this around us, let's remember, beloved, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are not one iota different than the culture around us. Not one speck. In fact, by nature, we're a deception-loving, delighted-with-the-lie, truth-hating people. That's what we are apart from the grace of God. Oppose God, enemies of him, hating that truth and lying in the darkness. Grace is the only thing that has made the difference, that you are different at all from the darkness and the world. Grace has done that. And you know as well as I do that The grace of God in Jesus Christ is always free, that it's totally undeserved. Jesus Christ died on the cross to blot out our sins. Every single one of them, including all of our lying and all of our deception, he blot out that guilt. That's our comfort this afternoon. And not only did Christ on the cross die for our sins to cover them with his blood, but at that same cross, he purchased the Holy Spirit. And that spirit that he earned or that he purchased at the cross, he then poured out into the church. He sends that spirit into your heart and into mine. And by the power of of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, we are enlightened by the power of the Spirit. We have the truth in our hearts. We know it. We love it. 
And whereas before there was only darkness, now the Spirit, as it were, sheds the light abroad in us so that we can understand and love the truth of God. That's a wonderful heart work and a continued work that the Spirit does within us. If you go back to 1 John chapter 2, it speaks of this work of the Spirit in us who has changed us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, the word unction means an anointing, the anointing with the Spirit. It says here, but ye have an unction, an anointing, from the Holy One, and ye know all things. And then if you go forward to verse 27, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. You see, the grace and spirit of Jesus Christ has made the difference. And so now, you have these children that are mentioned in our text. They're spirit-indwelt children who know and love the truth. And you have a Gaius whom the grace of God has powerfully taken hold of and who has changed. And you too have that spirit and grace of God. What is then exactly this truth which we have been brought by the grace of God to know and to love? I can't think of a much simpler definition than this. Truth is what really is. Truth is what really is. Truth is what accords with reality. And where do we go when we think about the truth? You can't start anywhere else but God himself. So we lift up the eye of faith to heaven to see God there exalted on his throne. God is truth. And wherever you see truth anywhere, it always has its origin, always comes from God. And then switch the vision of the eye of faith just a little bit to the right hand of God where there's Jesus Christ. And you may say, Jesus Christ is truth. When you look up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that throughout his earthly ministry and all his sufferings, he was always preaching and teaching the truth. And even though now he's ascended into heaven, exalted there at God's right hand, he continues to teach the truth through office bearers today and in his word. God is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And you may say in the very same breath that the Bible is truth. And that follows from what we've already established because this is simply the Word of God, the God who's truth. And this is simply the love letter of Jesus Christ to his people, to his church, this Jesus Christ who himself is truth. And so you can say about this whole book, this is truth. You could go to any passage that you want and say the same thing. We could, like I said, go anywhere in the Bible if we wanted, but Let's stick to the neighborhood of our text this afternoon. And I just want to point out a few specific truths. If you have your Bible open, you can look at this with me. We'll start in 1 John. First John chapter 1. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's truth. 1 John 2, 
verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's true. Continuing on in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. This is a rather sobering truth, but it is truth nonetheless. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Then if you go to 1 John 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You go home today, part of your celebration of the Sabbath, read through 1 John once and 2nd and 3rd. When we talk about the truth, what comes up over and over is loving the brethren. You'll find that to be a theme. One other passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another. There it is again. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is truth, and it's beautiful. I'll give you just a couple of examples of truth, also from 2 John. Second epistle of John and verse 5 at the end into verse 6. 5 at the end. That we love one another, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. And then look at verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver, an antichrist. If you flip that around, all right, there are those who deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, but that's one of the critical truths that's taught in these epistles of John. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, the incarnation. That's so foundational for our salvation. He's very God and very man. And if you look at verse 9, it talks there about the doctrine of Christ. That's especially what it's talking about. Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. That is truth. So you can say about this book, this is truth. Now we are called here Dune Protestant Reformed Church. Sometimes I ask the young people, what does it mean to be reformed? And part of the answer to that, a big part of it, is we are confessional. And so when you page to the back of the Psalter and you find our confessions, for example, our Heidelberg Catechism, you may say about those documents too that they are truth. Our confessions are not above the Bible. They're not on an equal par with the Bible but they are faithful summaries of what the scriptures say. And what the confessions do is they take the truths of the Bible and they compile them into a nice, neat summary. For example, what does the Bible say about the incarnation? Let's collect all that data and let's put it into a Lord's Day 14. What does scripture say about the sufferings of Jesus Christ? Let's take all those different things and let's put them into a Lord's Day 15. And that's what our confessions do. They, in a systematic way, go through all the different truths. Aren't we thankful for our confessions? Don't we want to use them? Now, the text here, 
though, is not simply about the truth, but the emphasis is the truth as it's taught to people. The truth as it's taught. That comes out in that little word, children, there. I, where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now John there is not referring to his biological or blood children. And he's not either talking about only little boys and girls as if he's talking about children as to their age. Rather, he's talking about those who are found in the church or in maybe certain local congregations with which he was familiar. And we're going to find out later that these are the same ones who walk in the truth. But here you have people in the church in these congregations. They might be little boys and girls, but they may very well be adults as well. But John calls them children, not in an arrogant way as if to set himself over them, but it's a term of endearment. He loves them so much. These are, he considers them, my children, my children. And in his great love for them, he taught them and taught them and taught them, and he lived as an example of what it looks like to walk in the truth. He lived as an example before them because he loved them so much. As a biological father in the home, will teach his children and will live as an example before them in his great love for them, so also John toward these children in the churches. But that's exactly the point, isn't it? The emphasis of the text is on the truth, but as it is taught to others. And the application of that is that there are those who are found in a congregation like Dune who will later come to are those who walk in the truth and they may be little boys and girls they may be adults or elderly members of the church but the office bearers love them they are dear the congregation is to these elders and in love for them the elders will expend themselves and pray over the congregation and teach the lambs and catechism and make sick visits and labor and seek, although imperfectly, but seek to live as an example of what it is to walk in the truth. That's not only true in the church, but that's true of parents in the home, isn't it? And we may make application there. There are children in the home, children who will later hear, walk in the truth, and you parents love them. You do. They are dear to you. And you will do everything for your children, teaching them and living godly before them. That's our text, the truth as it's taught. And God uses that teaching to instill the truth in the hearts of children. What gives John so much joy is to hear that his children walk in truth, that they walk in it, he says. Your walk, beloved, is your life. That's what it is. It's the living of your life in all of its different aspects. Your walk is the thoughts that you think in your mind that, no one else even knows about. It's the words that come out of your mouth minute by minute. It's your actions. It's the callings where God has put you, whether that's a factory worker or a mother in the home or whatever it may be. Your walk includes all sorts of different times too. It may be a Monday or a Friday. It may be that you're sitting on church on a Sunday it may be 2007 or 2023 or that you're a teenager or you're an 80-year-old person. Your walk includes all different times and it 
embraces or it encompasses all different places in your life. You may be in church or walking up the middle aisle after the worship service are done. You may be sitting in your dining room or behind a desk at school or in an office for work or bowling or a restaurant or in a dentist chair, but your walk includes it all. It's your life. Walking in the truth, then, is a life that's lived in the truth. If I may put it this way, it's that this truth which we've described colors every aspect of your life. What happens, children, when you take blue food coloring and you put three or four drops into a clear glass of water. What's going to happen to that water? That blue food coloring is going to mushroom and expand and cloud that whole cup of water, and you give it a couple of stirs, and the entire thing is blue. That's what walk in the truth is. It's a life that's colored with all of these doctrines, if I may put it a different way, walking in the truth means a life that's impacted or influenced or governed by the truth. It's walking in the truth is a, a life that has been transformed by the truth in which the truth is shown very obviously and is evident. Or you might put it very simply, walking in the truth is the truth lived out. That's what it is. You notice that little word in, walking in truth? It's a life that's found in the sphere of the truth. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean there. Think of a fish in a pond. And that fish, you might say, is in the sphere of of this water, and he might swim this way or that way or up or down, but no matter where he goes, it's always in the pond. And he even breathes the oxygen that's in that water. And even if someone should look at a fish that they're holding in their hand, the most obvious thing and the thing that sticks out is this is a fish that lives in the water. As the fish is in that sphere, so also we live in the sphere of the truth, so much so that someone could look at you and observe you only for a short amount of time and have no mistake about it. This is one who knows the truth. Third John gives us a negative example of someone who did not walk in the truth. And it gives a positive example of one who did. I want to start with that negative example of someone who did not walk in the truth. And that's this man, Diotrephes. Let's get before us a little bit of information about him, verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. This miserable fellow, this Diotrephes, loved to have the preeminence. And all that means is he loved to be first. He had to be the boss in church. He always had to be first. He did not receive John or those faithful missionaries that we heard about. He gave them the cold shoulder. And the Bible says here he prated against them with malicious words. It's interesting. 
that word prate comes from a word in the original which means to throw up bubbles. When you throw up bubbles, there might be something sort of nice, how that looks, and it just flows into the air. But bubbles don't have anything inside them. They're hollow. They're, there's nothing there. And that's what Diotrephes' words were like. They may have sort of flowed from his mouth in a certain sense, in a pleasing way, but all his accusations against John and all of his evil things that he said about these missionaries, they were just hollow. It was just a bunch of nonsense so that you would say it might sound good in a certain sense, but Diotrephes, it's all false and empty, idle talk. And when it came to these traveling missionaries, when they would come to town, Diotrephes would not receive them into his home. He wouldn't show them hospitality. And Diotrephes didn't even allow other people in the church to show these missionaries hospitality. And if they dared to sidestep Diotrephes and have these people in their home, you would have people thrown right out of the church. He loved first and he was an evil man an example of one who did not walk in the truth but a positive example of one who did are these children that are mentioned in the text I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth remember as we said before that these are the ones who were found in the church now John says that they walk in the truth and in love, John had expended himself for them. He taught them. He lived the truth before them. And now, evidently, God gave fruit upon John's labors with them. And the fruit was that these children also walked in the truth by the grace of God. They lived out this instruction that John had given to them, and they imitated John's godly example. And John was hearing reports of this, and that's why he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. People noticed this about them. It was so obvious, it so bubbled out from them that people were talking and coming to John and saying, you know about these people? Christ-like, godly, Christian people. John was hearing about it. One of those children was Gaius, the one to whom John writes his letter. You read about Gaius in verse 3, that John says to him, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. And then if you drop down to verses 5 and 6, Beloved, and he's talking to Gaius, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Gaius did take these faithful traveling missionaries into his home, showed them hospitality, provided lodging for them, and then he sent them away to continue preaching the gospel in other places. But in those days especially, you're traveling on foot and sometimes for many miles before you come to the next person who will lodge you. So that would have meant for Gaius that he needs to give them perhaps even a considerable amount of money and supplies to keep them going. That had to be a lot for Gaius. And the missionaries, John says, they were talking about him, about his charity. And the missionaries would even stand up before the congregation and talk to the congregation about what a charitable, hospitable man Gaius was by the grace of God. It was well known that he was one who walked in the truth. John heard about these people because it was so evident that they walked according to the doctrine. Could that be said about you? 
could that be said about me? Now, I'm not saying here that we're perfect. Of course not. We have sin and only a small beginning of that new obedience. But could it said about you that reports are going around that this one, this one, this one walks in the truth and you could just see it. It colors their life. We don't even have to go outside 3 John to show what that walk in the truth looks like now for us. It will look like in your life, beloved, hospitality, generosity, and charity toward the fellow saints. Of course. Of course that's what the Christian's life looks like. We're not talking about anything earth-shattering, major and grand here. It's just a life of hospitality and being tender-hearted toward other people and giving for them the truth. Remember what the truth is, that Jesus Christ gave of himself even to the death of the cross to pay there for our sins. He gave absolutely everything that he had. And now for us, walking in the truth, not that we try to pay God back and not that we're dying on a cross, but in gratitude we give of ourselves for the fellow saints in the congregation. We love them. We'll be generous toward them. That's what it looks like. Walking in truth will be a life of humility. Again, Nothing bright and shiny here, you might say. Basic Christianity. Diotrephes, who did not walk in truth, remember, he loved to be first. And so walking in the truth is opposite of that. It's humility. It's that I am, in the body of Christ, content to be last. That I have a desire to serve others and esteem others better than myself. You say, ah, that's no surprise because the truth, remember the one we looked at, is that Jesus Christ came into the flesh. What a thing that is. What humility and that he lowered himself even to the depths of the cross for me. That's lowliness. That's humility. And when that truth is in my heart, and when that governs and influences my life, walking in the truth will then look like this for me, that I'm humble, humble, and that I put others first. Walking in the truth for you and for me will manifest itself also in godly communication. Diotrephes, who did not walk in the truth, he spoke empty, nonsense, bubble-like, malicious words against John and others. Walking in the truth, though, is the complete opposite of that edifying communication. What does the Bible say? Speaking the truth in love. Even when there are things in the church I may not so much agree with someone else on about, when there are issues and we have to figure things out, speaking the truth, yes, but doing it in love. Isn't that beloved? So very basic, godly communication. When we have the truth in our heart, that's going to transform the way that I use my tongue. When I originally preached this in Heritage a few weeks ago, it was actually introduction to another round of Heidelberg Catechism preaching. And I made a point about the Heidelberg Catechism, and I can do that now this afternoon too. 
doesn't our Heidelberg Catechism, which we hear preached about 50% of the time, doesn't this lend itself to the whole idea of walking in the truth? See, our catechism is so personal, and it gives the doctrines, the teachings, the meaty things, and we need that, and to know that, and to hear that, but it's always interested in its personal approach to say, now what does this mean for your life? Sure, Jesus Christ arose from the dead, and let's understand the resurrection of Christ, that doctrine, but what does that profit you? And yes, Jesus ascended into heaven. There's doctrine there. There's heavy teaching. But what advantage for you is it that he ascended into heaven walking in the truth? John says then, there is no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. For John to be able to say that implies he had the truth in his own heart. He knew it and he loved it. And it implies that he had that desire by God's grace to see his children walking in it and that he taught them to do that in that desire. And so when he was hearing these reports, John, they're doing that. There was no greater joy in the whole world for John than to hear that. And then I would have to think that there was no greater grief than to hear about a diatrophies Can you imagine what sort of sorrow that was for John? To have children walking in truth, that is unmatched joy. And then you fathers and you mothers, you grandpas and you grandmas, take this word right upon your lips, don't you? When I hear about my children in the home or those who may have moved out, that they're walking in truth, There's no greater joy for me than that. And that implies, too, that God has put his truth in your hearts, father and mother, grandpa and grandma, and that you know it and love it. Else, seeing your children walk in it and hearing about it, that won't be a joyful thing to you else. And it implies that you've desired that as parents and you've taught your children, not perfectly. Our parenting is filled with sin and so many infirmities and weakness. God, forgive us for Jesus' sake for all of that. But we have had that desire. And so when we hear about our children and when we see the evidence of God's grace in their lives, we say there's no greater joy for me. I want to say here too, when a father or mother sees a child walking in a way of sin, I don't know that there's much greater pain on this side of Jordan than that. Let's remember, beloved, those perhaps even here, I don't know, who struggle with that, who carry that very heavy burden. Let's pray for them, have compassion toward them. Go on a visit and to see that grief on the faces of parents. That's a dark, dark grief. But to hear that children walk in truth, no greater joy. And I want you little children to hear that too. There's nothing that makes your parents happier than to see you living a godly life. But then the application, first of all, remember, is for an office bearer toward the congregation. I know you don't have a pastor now. You're vacant. God willing, you will have one soon. But your elders. And I think it's sometimes healthy to hear from the pulpit what your elders' congregation in Dune think of you 
and what they want for you. God has put his truth in their hearts so that they know it and love it. They desire for you that you'd walk in the truth. That's their prayer. That's their desire as they teach your children catechism and as they make visits to you and as they seek to live imperfectly, but seek to live as examples before you. Desire in all their work is that the congregation here that they would see Christ-likeness among you. And when they hear about that, and when they see it, I tell you, there's nothing that gives them a greater joy than that. God grant this walk in the truth, and God grant this exceeding joy. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy truth. Instill that more and more in our hearts. Give to us a love for it. Give us to believe it more and more. We pray, Father, for this church, that there may be shining from her, from her members, from these children, a Christ-likeness, the beauty of the Savior, we might faithfully walk, too, in godliness before thy face. Father, we're aware of our sins, too. For we do not live that truth as we ought, and we do not teach it as we ought. To our children, forgive us, Father, and renew in us, strengthen us to teach and to live that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.